I found an amazing passage in Mark Rutherford that relates to a question I've been talking about recently on the podcast and has really been on my mind, as I said, uh, basically since I began uh, preaching at All Saints Chevy Chase in the uh, uh, very late fall of 2007 and early 2008, to wit... When you sort of wise up in life and you just are forced to understand the futility and uh, really vacuity and, and waste of so much that you thought was important and to which you gave so much of yourself and energy, what is the message to such people? What is the message, the message of the gospel, the message of, the, uh, of depth to the young, as we at least uh, conceive it, uh, folk who are involved in the fever of building up the ego, only to find that it is demolished and uh, uh, dashed and devastated and wounded by the events in the so-called second half of life. And I never could, as I think I said, be satisfied fully with the answer that there are two messages, because why build you up buttercup only to recall when Bob Dylan says the levee's going to break? Why build up the levee only to see that it's broken by the flood of life? Why not look at a different levy? Why not, why not find a message that would actually speak to people on the verge of their life? You know, the, someone who's just started out and who has great hopes and ideas and dreams, to use valedictory type language, uh, that would also be wise and true. Well, I finally found it. I found a passage which has a kind of scintillating distillation of wisdom by Mark Rutherford in his... Uh, uh, novel of uh, uh, The Revolution in Tanner's Lane, which was published in 1890, and remember, which he would have written in his early to mid to late 50s. And in this novel, a young man, a, a newly married young man, who actually uh, has just become the father of, uh, he and his wife have just become the father of their first child, um, he visits this young man, George Allen, visits an old preacher in the Pike Street Chapel. This is in the 1840s or so in, uh, in London. And he goes to hear the Reverend Thomas Bradshaw as an old man speak out of his earned wisdom of many years as a truly authentic preacher of the gospel. This is one of those characters in Mark Rutherford who we're meant to see as someone who actually is the real McCoy. And the young man, George Allen, goes to hear, together with his dad, uh, a contemporary of his named Pauline, who's the uh, daughter of one of his dad's old friends, Zechariah Coleman. So two older people and two much younger people uh, go to hear a sermon. Now, what we know is that George Allen, who's only been married for about a year, a little over, a year and has just become a dad is incredibly unhappy. He made a mistake, as often happened, as Mark Rutherford wants to, us to know. He made a mistake with very little knowledge and just a kind of heated impulse. He was attracted to someone, uh, a flake, a, a, a no-meaning but utterly flaky woman who, uh, it turns out, is under the absolute domination of uh, one of her parents and is... Uh, uh, is pretty uh, but clueless and doesn't have a, quote, brain cell in her head. This has been uh, clarified in two encounters, two discussions that George has had with his wife Priscilla earlier. And yet he is an honorable young man and is not about to get out of his marriage or even, and that very thought is beyond belief, but he, he has absolutely seen his wife uh, for what he didn't know that she was. And in the same way that David Copperfield has that terrible, devastating illumination in relation to Dora, his first 
wife. And um, these are young men who have made a terrible mistake based upon little knowledge of anything related to the sexes, relevant to necess- even of themselves. And now he is charged ahead in this marriage and has married someone who he has nothing in common with and uh, with whom he can have no real relationship. And she has now buried herself in this new baby, and uh, uh, he, he's even more alone than he was when he realized what he had done. And our sympathies are with him, and yet he, our sympathies are with his wife, who is simply who she is. And uh, there we have it. Now, George Allen, this young man in the heat of the day, uh, of his own young life in his uh, mid-twenties, now goes to hear a sermon. I'm going to read the sermon, which is a, uh, a bravura passage in the oeuvre of Mark Rutherford, and I'm going to read the paragraph following it, which not only talks about really how we reach the young. It, it, it also uh, talks about how people really internalize a good sermon. And very rarely are people, those who do go to church, even accustomed to hearing a sermon that has anything to do with them. And here we have uh, the Reverend Thomas Bradshaw speaking to a young and very needy, uh, but he doesn't have the slightest idea that such a sermon might actually speak to him in Pike Street Chapel. Zechariah still went to the Pike Street Chapel, but only in the morning to hear Mr. Bradshaw, who was now an old man and could no longer preach in the evening. On that particular Sunday on which Zechariah, Pauline, Zechariah's daughter, Mr. Allen, Zechariah's contemporary, and George Allen, this young man of whom I've been speaking, back to the text, on that particular Sunday, Mr. Bradshaw took for his text the 13th verse of the 12th chapter of Deuteronomy. Quote, Take heed to thyself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place thou seest. End of quote. Now, Mr. Bradshaw put down his spectacles. This is page 266 of Revolution in Tanner's Lane. Mr. Bradshaw put down his spectacles after he had read these words, for he never used a note, and said, If your religion doesn't help you, it is no religion for you. You had better be without it. I don't mean if it doesn't help you to a knowledge of a future life or of the way to heaven. Everyone will say his religion does that. What I mean is that the sign of a true religion, true for you, is this. Does it assist you to bear your own private difficulties? Does it really? Not the difficulties of the schools and theology, but those of the parlor and counting house. I, difficulties most difficult, those with persons nearest to you. Everybody ought to have his own religion. In one sense, we are all disciples of Christ, but nevertheless, each man has troubles particular to himself, and it is absurd to expect that any book system will be sufficient for each one of us at all points. You must make your own religion, and it is only what you make yourself which will be of any use to you. Don't be disturbed if you find it is of not much use to other persons. Stick to it yourself if it is really your own a bit of yourself. There are, however, in the book of God, universal truths, and the wonderful thing about them is that they are at the same time most particularly adapted to you and me and all our innermost wants than anything we can discover for ourselves. That is to say, they are more particularly adapted to you and me and our innermost wants than anything we can discover for ourselves. That is the miracle of inspiration. For thousands and thousands of years, now, note, listener, uh, to the podcast, that he started by saying a, rela- a religion has to be religion that applies to you. Whatever your religion is, it must be able to support you and your private difficulties. But then, as a Christian minister rightfully would do, he 
acknowledges that in the book of books, there are uh, deep truths that seem inspired because they actually do apply to us in our private lives. Now I'm going on with the Reverend Thomas Bradshaw. That is the miracle of inspiration. For thousands and thousands of years, some of the sayings here have comforted those who have well nigh despaired in the desert of the world. The wisdom of millions of apostles, of heroes, of martyrs, of poor field laborers, of solitary widows, of orphans, of the destitute, of men driven to their last extremity, has been the wisdom of this volume, not their own and yet most truly theirs. Now, here is a word for us this morning. Quote, Take heed to thyself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place thou seest. Ah, what a word it is. You and I are not idolaters, and there is no danger of our being so. For you and me, this is not a warning against idolatry. He means specific idolatry, concrete idolatry, so he says. What is it for us, then? Reserve yourself. Discriminate in your worship. Reserve yourself, I say, but what is the implication? What says the next verse? In the place which the Lord shall choose. That is to say, keep your worship for the highest. Do not squander yourself, but on the other hand, before the shrine of the Lord, offer all your love and adoration. What a practical application this has. I desire now to come a little closer to you. What are the consequences of not obeying this divine law? You will not be struck dead, nor excommunicated. You will simply be disappointed. Your burnt offering will receive no answer. You will not be blessed through it. You will come to see that you have been pouring forth your treasure, and something worse, your heart's blood, not the blood of cattle, but that which is before that which is no God. Let me repeat that. You will come to see that you have been pouring forth your treasure, and something worse, your heart's blood, before that which is no God, a nothing, in fact. Vanity of vanities, you will cry. All is vanity. My young friends, young men and young women, you are particularly prone to go wrong in this matter. You not only lay your possessions, but yourselves on altars by the roadside. Now, Mark Rutherford continues in this final telling paragraph. It was the first time George had ever heard anything from any public speaker which had come home to him, and he wondered if Mr. Bradshaw knew his private history. He interpreted the discourse in his own way, and Priscilla was ever before him. Now, um, uh, this really did, uh, this speaks directly to the question that I've been asking myself. How do you speak to young people who are utterly engaged in putting dreams and efforts and energy out in things which inevitably will be found to be, uh, to be, to be, to be false? Uh, the, uh, they simply won't, they won't um, be able to, to hold the weight of the dreams which the young have put on them. A million different things, a career as an eye banker, a career in the military, a career in politics. 
politics uh, uh, or uh, a person whom you have tied your uh, star to, a, an institution, a dream, an idea. Remember my friend Arbus Whitcomb once said, Paul, I would, uh, I think it was someone else actually who said to Arbus, who at that time I believe was working for the Boston Herald Traveler, he said, Arbus, I'm not sure I would try tie my star to the Boston Herald Traveler. Well, that proved to be true in a, the short term as well as in the long term. Uh, young people, many people, all of us, and even a lot of young people in the bodies of older people are constantly tying the star of their dreams, their star of their hopes, to unworthy objects. And then when the woman disappoints or the man disappoints or the child disappoints or your daughter disappoints or your son disappoints or your world disappoints or your views disappoint or your political hero disappoints, you become terribly cynical and disappointed. And he's saying here, he's speaking to young people. He says, vanity, vanity, you will cry. All is vanity. My young friends, young men and women, you were particularly prone to go wrong in this matter. You not only lay your possessions, but yourselves on altars by the roadside. And I entitled this podcast, which I believe is, uh, golly, I think this is uh, number 72 in the podcasts I've done, using this phrase, altars by the roadside. Because at this point, George, the young father and young husband, immediately, it says, it was the first time he'd ever heard anything from any public speaker, which had actually come home to him. And he wondered if Mr. Bradshaw knew his history. This used to happen to me all the time in preaching. People would come up to me almost angrily and say, were you listening in, the, in our bedroom door the other night? Did you overhear something we said? Or who told you this about me? Why were you a- attacking me? And I would... Uh, Occasionally, I made the mistake of actually interjecting a personal illustration that was undisguised, and that was entirely wrong of me and uh, absolutely not the right thing to do. All, all, that, all that he is saying, Mr. Bradshaw, he's speaking out of the inspired scripture, a general statement that it is wisely true, older people know, that they, when they were young men and women, when I was young... Uh, I was particularly prone to go wrong because I would lay my whole heart on an altar by the roadside, not the altar which the Lord should choose, but any which altar that I thought would save me or bring me hope and uh, something important, you know, hammer horror films, <laughs> fandom, a book that I was writing, uh, an idea that I had about something, some job that I conceived a desire to have, which I never got, uh, all these things. And so George uh, interprets uh, the preacher, to be speaking about his false uh, dream uh, that he'd had that Priscilla would be the ideal wife with her beautiful hair and her lovely smell. And he realized very quickly that he'd laid his whole heart by the roadside at the wrong altar. And here he, uh, Priscilla could not possibly bear uh, the weight that he of his whole life had established on his psychosexual relationship with his beautiful, and she was beautiful, but vacant, absolutely too, foolish as his mother had warned him, but he could never hear. But he, as, as Rutherford said, his mother's words that, uh, you know, a man when he marries a foolish woman, uh, those words uh, uh, he inscribed on his heart forever after on the mausoleum of his dead marriage. And um, so it says that George interpreted Mr. Bradshaw's discourse after we all do. We, we hear in it something for ourselves because everybody I'm talking to in this podcast, whether they're five people or 5,000 people, everyone who is listening to this knows, can give me a concrete example or examples of, of, of altars on which you've laid your whole hopes on the roadside and you laid your very self on it and you were warned and now the altar has proven to be uh, nothing, an altar to nothing. 
and uh, an altar to something disappointing, and you're terribly disappointed. Now, this is what I was talking about. Bradshaw, as an old man, was able to speak the great word of Ecclesiastes, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, address the young, and George, a young man, heard it exactly the way it was meant to be heard, and he was able to interpret his life in light of Mr. Bradshaw's profound um, uh, text which was the 13th verse of Deuteronomy 12. Now, that is what I'm saying. Now, the two things I'm saying, and then I'm going to finish. I really do want to finish under 20 minutes. First, it is possible to speak to the young when you talk about disillusionment uh, as it actually is, because everybody knows this. At age 14, we did it. At age 12, we did it. At age 17, we did it. At age 22, we did it. And a young person can understand it. Now, the attacks that I got from people who were overly invested in their personal lives between age 28 and 38, those are people who had sort of, who were bitter about it, and they didn't want to be reminded. They knew all too well that they'd married the wrong woman, uh, that they'd married the wrong man, that they that their uh, relations with their children were tortured, and things that they had hoped their children would become and be, gratefully, turned out to be very disappointing to them, in fact. Uh, and uh, so I was touching a nerve, but but in fact, the young uh, are willing to hear this, because it's simply the case. And he, his beautiful speech to the young is brilliant. Now, the other thing was that the uh, George interpreted is it, quote, after his own fashion. You, you cannot expect people to hear your message in a certain way because the Holy Spirit, God, takes uh, whatever you're saying, if it's true, and applies it in his own way to the people he applies it to. Um, I cannot um, take that word. Often people will say, well, remember when you said such and such? You didn't know that I was in the middle of such and such, did you? Well, that's true, I didn't, but I don't even remember saying the thing you think I said. The reason being, what you heard, you interpreted it in your own way, which is only right and good, but it wasn't at all what I thought I was doing or what I was even saying. Often people parrot back things to me that I don't remember even saying because they took something that was just a throwaway maybe or something that I didn't even think about and that was the thing that, that struck them because in fact I was speaking out of my heart. I mean the only thing Mr. Bradshaw does, he, he is speaking out of his own experience. He's speaking out of himself, out of a man who's had to find a religion that would work for him and he's now speaking out of a heart that is in Kerouac terms subterraneanly excavated and that's why he's able to speak to the person uh, in the pew and that's what a writer does and that's what George Orwell did and that's what Nigel Neal did and that's what Mark Rutherford did and that's what I in my own little tiny way have thought I was doing or trying to do most of the time but often to people that were so uh, inured to, to hearing anything. I mean, someone who's been going to church for 20 years and has really gotten out of the habit of ever even imagining that the preacher could actually say something that might, in fact, relate to his or her actual struggle. When they actually hear someone who's struggling up there, they hear a, a flip-flopping heart. You know, uh, I was just out jogging, and we live in an area where pelicans uh, and, and birds of fish in a big lake uh, out near us, not the lake I sometimes talk about, but a big lake called Lake Apopka, which is three blocks from where I'm sitting now. And what they do, the pelican goes and he gets a bird, uh, I mean a fish, and he gets a, he, he, he spears a fish and, and kills the fish and puts it in his beak, his jaw, whatever you want to call it. And as he's flying away, sometimes he's frightened or something happens or wind comes or he turns the wrong way. And the fish, the slippery fish falls out and it falls on the street. So here I am jogging uh, in the town of Winter Garden and uh, my neighbor uh, on his uh, walkway, there's a big fish. Now the fish uh, did not just come there. This is not from one step beyond. Da da la da 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 da
Da-da. Weird by Harry Lubin. It's not a weird thing. The pelican flying overhead from Lake Apopka to the tree where his young... His young people, Vanity of Vanities, were waiting for a fish. Uh, he dropped the fish, and it fell on the on the sidewalk. Um, well, I'm. Uh, where did that come from? The uh, I'm. I, I need to hear something. I have no idea where it's going to go. Uh, what direction it's going to take? Uh, it, it's not at all in my hands. I simply have to deliver what I think I have because I've got something. Uh, I'm needy, and I've got something myself, and I'm not that, that. Now I remember that little fish was flip-flopping around when it was first dropped on the sidewalk. It was flip-flopping. My little heart is flip-flopping around. My little needy ego, my little hungry heart is flip-flopping around like crazy, and uh, uh, that's the heart. That's the being that's up in the pulpit, and and that little flip-flopping fish that's been picked up by the pelican is actually uh, speaking to the little flip-flopping heart and uh, timorous, uh, timorous and uh, needy and uh, vibrating, palpating person who is, uh, who is listening. And that's what communication is. And that's what the Reverend Thomas Bradshaw did. That's what a preacher does. That's what we all do when we talk with any insight about any subject at all. And that's... Uh, uh, what is uh, the message that the youngest person who's looking for an altar upon which to lay his heart can completely identify with, just as uh, the uh, the oldest uh, long-in-the-tooth disappointed person. We all know what it is to lay our entire selves on innumerable uh, altars by the wayside, which are not the altar on the main line of the human journey. Thank you so much for listening. I did it.